into our passage now. Go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. We're in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. If you need a Bible at all, there should be a Bible underneath one of the seats. Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. I'm going to read this for us, and then I'd like to pray. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not a yoda or a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never Enter the kingdom of heaven. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask for your blessing this morning of understanding what Jesus is teaching here. We thank you for your word of God, which is sharper than any two-edged sword. And so I ask this morning that your spirit would be so incredibly present and active in us. that it would pierce our hearts, that if we need to be pierced for encouragement's sake, that it would pierce us. If we need to be pierced for conviction's sake, it would pierce us. If we need to be pierced to see and hear for the very first time, that you would be gracious enough to allow that to happen. And so we pray this in your Son Jesus' name. Amen. In the 1500s, there was a German man who was born. His name was Martin Luther. You may be familiar with him. If you're not, let me just kind of tell you about his story. When Martin Luther was young, his parents wanted him to be a lawyer. Through situations and events, he found himself in the middle of a rainstorm and he took shelter and there was lightning and thunder supposedly like no one's business. And I say that because it got to the point where Martin Luther made this vow to God, if you save me, I will dedicate myself to you. And so through this lightning storm, he was saved and he ended up becoming a monk and a priest. Martin Luther had a very sensitive conscience and took living according to the oath and the order serious. 
he took it so serious that it got to a point that the, the overseer of the house, the father of the house, instructed him, Martin, don't come back to confess sin to me until you have something actually worth confessing. Martin Luther took living according to the law or working on his salvation so serious that the person in charge of the house told him, do something that's worth repenting of. If you don't have something, don't come. (laughs) Martin Luther would go on to read and teach on the book of Galatians and start to understand that it wasn't his works that saved him. It wasn't as if his works put salvation points up in a bank in heaven where one day when he died, he could go before God, open up the vault and say, here are all of my salvation points that I've saved and put away. He started to understand that it was through grace alone that one was saved. And that he was justified not by his own righteousness, but by the righteousness or right standing of another. And we see clearly who this other person is today as Jesus tells us in this passage, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And then he even goes to emphasize it further for us. By saying that not one aspect of the law would pass away until all of it was accomplished. But in case his listeners might think that that means that we can just go ahead and do whatever we want to now, he he adds the seriousness of saying, don't relax in doing the law or teaching the law. Instead, keep it and do it. But let me just give you one last piece of advice that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and scribes, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. What we're being taught this morning and what Jesus is going to be unfolding for us as we continue to read on through the Sermon on the Mount is this truth, is that because we couldn't fulfill the law, Jesus came to fulfill the law. Let me say that again. Because we could not fulfill the law, Jesus has come to fulfill the law. We're going to see this in two ways this morning. Verses 17 through 18, we're going to see how Christ is the fulfillment of the law. And then what we will see in verses 19 through 20 is that we are now called to do and teach the law. Because Christ has fulfilled the law, we Now obey and teach the law. So, let's go ahead and start. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. Here right away, Jesus is trying to to get rid of any type of misconception about who he is and what he has come to do. It was very common that when somebody came professing that they were the Messiah, what they would do is they would start to change certain aspects of the law. They would start to say, follow me, the person, because I have it right. Right. 
But what Jesus here is emphasizing, and this is emphatic here as we start in verse 17, do not think. Don't put it in your mind at all. This isn't what I've come to do. You know how sometimes when you're communicating with somebody and you want to be as clear as possible, you start out communicating with them saying, this is not what I'm saying. Just so that way you're aware right off the bat, I am not saying this at all. And this is what Jesus is trying to confront. Do not think. Don't put it into your mind. This isn't something to entertain at all. I have not come to abolish the law. I haven't come to set up something else. Instead, I have come to fulfill. But what? What has Jesus not come to abolish? Well, he says the law or the prophets. This could simply mean for us the Old Testament. The Old Testament is broken up like this, and when we read in the New Testament, it's often referred to this as the law and the prophets. The law simply is the first five books of the Old Testament. So Genesis all the way to Deuteronomy and everything in between. And the prophets is everything that comes after it. The law unpacked or told us how to live to glorify God, and the prophets showed us that and called Israel back into alignment of that. And so Jesus here is saying, don't think this, don't think that I've come to abolish the Old Testament, don't think that I've come to crumple up the Old Testament and throw it away into the wastebasket. That's not what I've come to do at all. How quickly do we sometimes do this? We see right here at Jesus' sermon that he is making an important distinction for the disciples. He's making this important revelation for us that the Old Testament is important. And how often we as Christians, that when we come to God's Word, we we plant ourselves in the New Testament, never taking the Old Testament serious. Thinking that it's irrelevant, it's long ago, it doesn't have anything profitable for me. And yet Jesus tells us, I haven't come to abolish, throw away, get rid of the Old Testament. Instead, I have come to fulfill them. He gives us right here the true meaning of the law and the prophets. That He is the fulfillment of them. If Jesus were to just do away with or throw away the law and the prophets, then He would not be able to fulfill them. And so he doesn't abolish them. He fulfills them. What he is saying is that in the Old Testament, every aspect of it, from the law to the prophets, points to me. I am the good shepherd. 
I am the king whose kingdom will be established forever. I am the offspring from Abraham that would be a blessing to the nations. I am the promised offspring that would crush the serpent's head. All the way back in Genesis 3. Jesus has come to be the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. We get a better picture of this at the end of Luke as he's walking with a few of the disciples on the Emmaus Road. It's when he had risen again and the disciples didn't recognize him and he spent time with them, telling them and teaching them how everything had pointed to that very moment. His death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus, here at the Sermon on the Mount, at the beginning of His ministry, is telling us and telling His disciples that all that was taught in synagogues, all that was taught during their Sunday schools in the Old Testament, points to Him. It's all about Jesus. It's always been all about Jesus. And so Jesus has come not to abolish the very thing that is about him, but instead he comes to fulfill it. And to emphasize this reality, what Jesus then does in verse 19 is he only emphatically emphasizes this all the more for us. He's only giving the disciples and those who are listening even more assurance. As he says, for truly, this, those two words should lift our souls. Jesus is saying this is the truth. I say to you until heaven and earth pass away, not a yoda, not a dot will pass away from the law. This is the smallest letter of the day that could have been written down. And a dot was used as a breathing mark. In, in the original Greek and Hebrew, there were no punctuation marks, but there were what's called breathing marks. So here, this might be helpful. I have an older sister whose name is Zoe. A very common way to spell Zoe is Z-O-E-Y. But instead of my parents spelling it Z-O-E-Y, they spelt it Z-O-E dot dot above the E. It draws the E out. And there were these breathing marks above letters in the written time that Jesus is preaching and teaching. And so he's saying the smallest letter of the alphabet, and the smallest dot will not pass away until the stars are no more and the heavens are no more and the new heavens and the new earth are here, not the smallest letter or the smallest dot will be erased. It won't be backspaced and forgotten forever until all is accomplished, nothing from the law will be abolished.
So if this is the case then, you may have heard this, I know I've heard this, why do we then pick and choose which part of the law to follow? Why don't we get stoned when we don't show up for the Sunday service or take Sabbath serious? Why does it seem like the church only follows the Ten Commandments and not the rest of the law? If Jesus hasn't come to abolish the law, then surely we need to not be eating bacon anymore, and that would be pretty disappointing, and I don't know if I'd be able to convince Haddon of that. Well, in order to understand that, we need to realize that there were different aspects of the law. John Calvin is helpful here. He broke the law up into three different ways, or understood it in three different ways. You had the moral law, which would have been the Ten Commandments. You have the civil law, or the judicial law, which had been the law of how they governed things as a nation. We tend to forget that Israel didn't look at the separation of church and state. They didn't worry about that. And then there were the ceremonial laws which you received cleansing from, which was the priestly duty and the priestly acts of offering up a sacrifice. Whether it was a lamb or a bowl or grain or a dove, So we sometimes forget that those, or, or we, what we don't realize is that those so intricately were interwoven with one another as Israel was its own nation. They had their own way of governing. And so why does the church focus on some or obey some and not others? Well, the church is not a nation. The church is the body of Christ, which Christ has come to fulfill. And he has fulfilled. He's fulfilled this through his life, through his perfect obedience of the fulfillment of the law, through his death on the cross of being a sacrifice for our sins. We now enter into this covenant relationship with him when we are baptized or cleansed with him in his death and raised into newness of life. We receive then the righteousness that He has accomplished for us on our behalf. And so Christ has come to fulfill the law for us. And because He's fulfilled the law for us, we may not observe the ceremonial or the judicial, but we do still observe the Ten Commandments as these are written on our heart. And this is why then, as we move on to verse 19, Jesus says, therefore, what is the therefore, therefore? Well, because I haven't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law, therefore, whoever relaxes, whoever takes it easy, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, will be called the least. In a, in a different way, how we could say this, who, whoever looks at the least of these commandments and says, I don't need to do that one, 
or this one isn't really as important as the other ones, and relaxes it in their own doing and their own teaching, will be considered least in the kingdom of heaven. And how quickly, as sinful human beings, do we still struggle with this? We justify what commandments to follow based on our preferences and what comes most natural to us. We say, I'm, I'm not gossiping. I would tell them to their face, but not realizing that we very well are bearing false witness. We would rather relax that commandment than to take it serious. I'm not coveting having a piece of land to build a cabin on or that car down the road, or the house that I pass on the way to work, I just call it motivation for my work. I'm motivating myself to achieve these things instead of being content with what the Lord has given us. I'm not actually acting on these desires to commit adultery, but what's a fantasy here or there or a late night on the computer going to harm? It won't harm anybody. I'm just a very passionate person. I'm just telling the truth, and the truth is spoken in love when in reality it's anger. And so we look at the law and we relax things. We take it light. And we do it in our own lives and then we teach it to others. And Jesus says it is those who will be least in the kingdom then, whoever takes the commandments and relaxes them. But on the flip side, he gives us a positive and, and he tells us, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And so we see right here what it takes to be great in the kingdom of heaven. Doing the commandments and teaching the commandments. I don't know if what you're thinking right now is how in the world is this possible? I could hardly do the thing that I like doing well. I could hardly love my kids this week, and I do love them. I want to be content with what the Lord has given me, but it's hard to do that. And now Jesus is setting up this expectation for me to do the commandments and to teach the commandments, and that's how I'll be great in the kingdom of heaven. But not only that, it seems as if Jesus adds injury to insult by telling us then, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And this, we say, doesn't sound like the message of Jesus, does it? 
It almost seems like he's lifting the Pharisees up on a pedestal saying, look at how well they observe the law. Which he actually is. He is saying, look at how well they observe this. Unless your righteousness exceeds, unless it outpaces, unless you're able to catch up with them on the track and lap them, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. And we go, Jesus, this doesn't sound like your message. And there are a few things that Jesus is setting up here for us. Because what he's teaching us is that our righteousness could never exceed that of the Pharisees. There is a chasm between our righteousness and the righteousness of the Pharisees. But likewise for the Pharisees, there can always be a Pharisee who is more righteous than that Pharisee. The chasm for the Pharisees and the scribes is too big too. The righteousness that they have is an outer righteousness. A righteousness that's only based off of their own works, their own doing. And the righteousness that Jesus is talking about here that exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees has to come from an outside source. The righteousness cannot come from themselves. This is what Jesus is setting up as then he is going to go through the rest of chapter 5 saying, you say that it's the act of committing adultery that's a sin, but I tell you that if you just look upon a woman with lust, I say, or you say, if you actually murder somebody, that's the sin, but I say if you hate somebody or are angry at somebody, that's the sin. The, the righteousness of the Pharisees is unattainable for us. But the righteousness for the Pharisees is unattainable for the Pharisees. Because it's a righteousness that comes from them. And the righteousness that we need is a righteousness outside of ourselves. A righteousness that could only come from a person fulfilling the law and the prophets. And this is what Jesus has come to accomplish. He has come to accomplish for you and I a righteousness outside of ourselves. This is the amazing news of the gospel. Is that when we look at our righteousness through our works, it only brings more doubt. It's no wonder that Martin Luther was so crazy in regards to wanting to work for his righteousness. If we seriously knew how holy God was, we too would try to work out our righteousness the way that Martin Luther did. But in God's grace and God's providence in Martin Luther's life and for our benefit, he recaptured the understanding that the righteousness that we need has to come from Jesus Christ, which brings so much assurance to our hearts. That as much as I try to do and I try to do and I try to do, it's not enough. But there is one who has done enough. 
There is one who has died for our sins on the cross. And when we repent and trust in him, all of the sin that is in us gets transferred over to him and he transfers us his righteousness. And so no longer are we seen as enemies, but because of being clothed in the righteousness of Christ, we are seen as daughters and sons. So then why obey the law at all? If Christ has fulfilled the law, and we receive His righteousness on belief in Him, why not continue then just to do whatever we want and rely on His righteousness? Why don't I just keep on sinning? Because there's something that takes place when we receive this righteousness, this inward righteousness. It's that we no longer obey God out of duty. Because we have received this righteousness, there is a desire that has been birthed from love to obey what Jesus has commanded us. This is what Jesus explains to his disciples in the gospel according to John. If you love God, you will obey him. And because we have received such a great love, why would we not then want to try to keep the commandments as well as we possibly can. Why would we not want to teach the commandments as well as we possibly can? So here's how I'd like to conclude this morning. Sometimes our hearts are cold in wanting to do and teach the commandments. And when that happens, most of the time, what has taken place is a reordering of what's taken place in our lives. When obeying God and teaching His commandments turns into duty, it means that we are functioning, whether we know it or not, based off of having to work for God's righteousness. but you have been freed and received the gift of righteousness. And so if you have been obeying God out of duty, then take a moment to first repent and then confess and ask that the Holy Spirit would wash over your mind and your heart and remind yourself, my righteousness comes from Christ, therefore I obey God. Because I love God, I obey Him. Because of the inward righteousness that I have received, that turns into external righteousness. So that people can glorify the Father and we can love our neighbors. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for sending Your Son Jesus to be the fulfillment of of all the law and the prophets, every aspect of it. 
And we thank you that not the smallest letter or the smallest breathing mark or dot will be erased until all is accomplished. We thank you for sending your son Jesus so that when we profess his name, we can receive right standing with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.